you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. What an awesome time, huh? Thank you so much. Everyone who shares, that's hard to do. Now, some of you, maybe it's easy, you're, you know, you've done it before and you're good at it, but for some people, man, that can be really hard to do, especially when you're in the middle of or God has brought you through something that just gets to the core of your being, right? So thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that is, that kind of testimony is the thing the Bible speaks of when it says that we as God's people overcome the evil one, the brokenness in the world by, in part, the word of our testimony, That as we speak those words to each other, that is what helps us as a community to overcome the brokenness in the world. And I know for a fact that there are people in this room who need to hear that in order to get through what they're facing. So if you shared this morning, uh, I just want to thank you for being, for utilizing the opportunity to be the church to one another in that way. That's really special. Um, So, We're in the middle of a series on the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're in chapter 8 of that series this morning, and it's a long chapter. Um, We're not going to cover the whole chapter kind of in the details of it, but I do want us to, in some manner, cover the whole breadth of the chapter, kind of from like a 10,000-foot view, because there's something really unique that happens from the beginning of Luke chapter 8 to the beginning of Luke chapter 9. And in Luke 8, verse 1, we're told that Jesus went about from town to town proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, right? His disciples are with him, but it's clear that they're onlookers and that Jesus is the one going about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But somehow, by the time we get to Luke 9, in verse 2, we're told that Jesus is sending out his disciples, his followers, to go proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So there's something that takes place in this chapter that causes a fundamental shift, where Jesus' followers go from being onlookers to being participants in the mission and proclamation of his kingdom, right? And, And I think we know that that's a fundamental shift, right? That that's a change we've all gotta go through if we're to live the Christian life faithfully. Because just like the disciples, we have our seasons of being onlookers. And that's okay, that's normal. We have seasons where we see Jesus, we behold him, we hear, and we observe what he's doing, and we kind of pull together some facts and some experiences, and we wonder in ourselves, what's this guy up to? Who is he? What is he saying? And is it true or is it not? It's okay, it's good to have seasons of looking on, but ideally that's a temporary state, right? God wants to move us, from being onlookers to being participants in his kingdom. Onlookers to participants who proclaim word and indeed with our lives that the kingdom of God has come. And something happens in Luke chapter eight that causes this shift to happen in Jesus's disciples. And Luke eight is full of amazing stories, right? It's it's actually got a lot of the classic stories from the life of Jesus in it. We're gonna hear them in a minute. Um, But again, we're not going to walk through all of those stories in detail. I just want to point out one central question that gets asked in the middle of the chapter. It is, I think, the fundamental question 
not just of the Christian life, but of all of life. It's a question that can take us, depending on how we answer it, from being onlookers to being participants. And it's the question that the disciples ask when they're in the boat with Jesus. And they've woken him up, and he's calmed a raging storm simply with his voice. The disciples ask one another, who is this? Who is this? God, we, some of us have never answered this question. And some of us have been answering it for decades. But God, we ask this morning that you would give each one of us a fresh encounter with Jesus. That we might ask and answer this question in a way that changes the very shape of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to do things slightly differently this morning. Rather than kind of preach the chapter as one normally would, I want to just kind of set the stage for these stories. And then Tiffany has been so kind as to agree to read the whole thing to us. And in my audio Bible, that's like eight minutes long. So it'll be kind of a long reading, but we'll see what the purpose of that is. Um, So I just want to kind of set the stage for that story. And actually Luke does it himself right there in verse one. Jesus went around proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The last couple weeks and the coming weeks um, at SOMA, which is the youth ministry in this church, we are in the middle of a series on the good news, which is the gospel. It means the same thing. And we've been asking ourselves, what is the good news? What is the gospel? What is not the gospel? And why is it so important for us to, to make that distinction correctly, right? Why is it so important for us to mean the same thing Jesus meant when we say gospel? And I think in part that that's because the gospel is the soil that the whole Christian life grows in, right? It's essential that we get the gospel right because the soil we grow in affects the fruit we produce and how much we're able to grow as Christians, to reach the potential that God has for us as his people. And if we get the gospel wrong, we limit that growth and we might produce no fruit or fruit that God doesn't necessarily intend. And there's a couple ways, I think, church, that we can get the gospel wrong. And the first one is kind of obvious, and it's just that we get the gospel wrong, that we believe something to be the gospel that simply isn't. And it's okay for us, it's probably important for us to acknowledge these things, right? So if we claim that the Christian life is all about my self-interest and my own elevation and prosperity, we just got it wrong. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with us claiming that or, or, or stating that fact. It's important for us to do that. That's just not what scripture gives us as the good news. And so that's one way we can get the gospel wrong. But there's another way that's more insidious, right? It's sneakier, it's more subtle, and it can kind of catch us by surprise or subconsciously. And that's when we mix up the good news with other things that are good and true and right. The Christian story, the life we live as the people of Jesus is full of really good news, amen? There's all kinds of things that are fantastic news when it comes to being a Christian. But not all good news is the good news. There's one gospel. And it's essential for us to plant our roots in that good news. And all the other good news in the Christian life will grow up out of that. 
So we've got to get that distinction right if we want to produce the fruit that God has set out for us to produce. And if we confuse the gospel or get it wrong, our, our fruit and our growth can be affected by that. And so there's tons of good news in the Christian life, but there's only one good news. And when Jesus went around proclaiming the good news, Luke tells us this, Matthew and Mark and John tell us this, the New Testament proclaims this as a whole, and the Bible really is, this is the thrust of the Bible as well. When Jesus goes around proclaiming the good news, church, there is one thing that he talks about over and over and over again, and it's the kingdom of God. When Jesus proclaims the good news, he says, repent and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the powers of darkness that hold us enslaved to sin have been dethroned, and Jesus has become king. Luke Hescott, not the Luke in the Bible, Luke put it this way to me or uh, last week sometime. He said, the good news is that Jesus is king and his kingdom is here. And imagine, church, the, the consequences of that. That all the other kings in our lives, whether they be sort of real life sort of figures or they be the things that hold us captive in our souls and in our spirit, right? If Jesus has become king, all those other rulers have been dethroned. And we are given freedom to walk out of darkness and into light. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. There's another way of saying this. And that is that although when sin entered the world, the powers of darkness laid claim to it, in Jesus, God has taken back his rightful place as king. He is patiently and lovingly bringing the whole world under his rule. Right? His rule is unlike anything we ever experience in this life. It's a rule of love and kindness and mercy. And the whole world is coming under that rule. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all the other good news in the Christian life flows out of that. So that's the good news. When, when Luke tells us Jesus went around proclaiming the good news, that's what Jesus proclaimed. And that's the stage for the stories that we're about to hear. When the, when the disciples begin to ask themselves, who is this? This is the gospel they've heard. That the kingdom of God, Jesus is going around proclaiming that a new king has arrived. And they begin to ask, who is this? And our answer to that question, who is this, hinges on that gospel. That's the proclamation. And that is what determines our answer. So, Tiffany is going to come and read this to us, but before we hear these stories, let me encourage you um, to not try to get anything out of it, okay? There's not going to be a pop quiz. There's not going to be any, you know, right and wrong answers. So don't listen to these stories trying to forecast what I might ask you so you can raise your hand the quickest. Like, sit and relax and hear the word of God proclaimed, Right? Just because it's read from the book, not read from someone's personal notes, doesn't make it any less a proclamation of the word of God. So let's hear God's word spoken over us and let ourselves be pulled into the story, right? If you've read C.S. Lewis's um, Chronicles of Narnia, in the beginning of the fourth, third or fourth book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's this great scene where three of the, the kids are looking into this portrait on the wall 
of a sea and a great boat on it. And they're staring and wondering. And all of a sudden, the picture comes alive and they're pulled into the story. And they live the experience of the story. That's what God can do with us when we hear the story of the gospel. So let's allow that to happen as Tiffany comes and reads to us. So welcome her as she comes. She has a, a rather tall text because it's a lot of Bible to read. So um, let me leave that for you and I'll bring this back. hear me? All right. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Shusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed 
and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, 
for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she, couldn't, she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had instantly been healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what happened. Um, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Amen. 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 So let's just... Kind of imagine ourselves getting pulled into that story and walking with those disciples and encountering Jesus. And the question put to us at every turn is who is this? Who is this who calms the storm with a word? Who is this who gives permission to demons to leave? Who is this who heals a woman 12 years sick on accident? Who is this whose voice can call the dead to life? Luke doesn't provide a direct answer to this question in this chapter. He leaves it to us to decide what our answer will be. But 
when he sets the stage with Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and he tells all these stories about Jesus going around with remarkable authority, the question, who is this, becomes, is this man the king over this kingdom? Is Jesus the king that he claims to be? And that, church, is the question for us. Do we believe that Jesus is the king over God's kingdom? And if so, how will we respond? Will we, like the Gerasenes in the story, give ourselves over to fear and ask Jesus to leave? Or, like Peter, a little later in chapter 9, will we say, well, Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. But I say that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the King, the King over God's kingdom. And as such, Jesus, I bow my knee to you and submit my life to you and to your cause and to your kingdom. How will we respond? Let's pray together. And if you want, this is a little strange, but I find that the logical bodily response to kingship is the bowing of a knee. That's kind of what you see in, in the stories in the movies, right? So I'm going to pray, and if you feel so led, feel free to just bow your knee if you'd like to recognize physically your submission, your love for Jesus as our king. Jesus, we thank you for... Uh, the fact that your kingdom and your rule is a rule of love. God, that you have in these testimonies and in this story, you have shown us the great power and authority and faithfulness of who you are. And Jesus, we, we rejoice in that. We are amazed to see the authority of King Jesus over our lives and in this world. And we rejoice at the fact that Jesus is king and his kingdom has come and that we are invited to be citizens in that kingdom. And so, Lord, in our hearts, as we hear the question, who is this? We cry out, he is the Christ. Jesus is the son of the living God, the Lord, the king over the kingdom. And Lord, with all of our hearts, we want to learn to follow him, to live our lives in that loving kingdom and to embody the love and the rule of Jesus in this world so that others might come and see and join us in receiving that love. We pray today, God, you would make us a people whose hearts are shaped by the love of King Jesus and that you would use us in the cause of your kingdom each day of our lives. We commit ourselves joyfully to this, God, and we pray that you would teach us to walk with you faithfully. We ask all of this in the name of King Jesus, whose rule we submit to, whose love we receive, and whose kingdom we believe has indeed come. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Church, thank you um, for staying a little long. Have a great week. Be blessed. Pray for the Spain missions team as they return. Pray for the cause of the kingdom in Spain, even going forward. And uh, walk in faithfulness to King Jesus this week. Amen. Amen.